my name is Josh. I'm the high school pastor, college young adult pastor. Pastor Scott is not up on stage today. He had surgery earlier this week on his knee, and uh, he's doing good, crazy, no, no even crutches anymore. So you'll see him hobbling around, say hi to him. Uh, but lucky you guys stuck with me today. So, hey, let's have some fun, yeah? Woo! Uh, hey, so it's good to be back. As Chad mentioned at the beginning of the service, we took a group of high school students uh, on Agape tour uh, earlier uh, last weekend, woo-woo, and uh, we took them up to Fresno. It was great. For those that don't know what Agape is, Agape is our high school worship band and choir, and we go and sing at um, drug and alcohol uh, rehab facilities and rescue missions and those kind of places, and it was a great week. Uh, I love Agape for a number of reasons. I love for a weekend out of the year. I don't sleep. It's really fun. Uh, don't have kids yet. I hear that's what that's like. So uh, it's nice to practice, apparently. Um, lots of fun. I love, man, I just love the relationship building with our, with our students. Um, just really neat to just spend like three days straight, 24 hours a day, uh, just hanging out with the kids. It's awesome. It's so good. Uh, it's neat to see our kids getting stretched uh, and get, get me getting stretched. Uh, man, it is so cool to see the Lord work. Like we pray for the Lord to go and work in the people's hearts that we're going to sing for. Um, and that happens, but man, it's cool to see the Lord working in our students' hearts. It's cool to see the Lord just like growing me and stretching me. Um, just such a good weekend. I wanted to share one story with you guys from the weekend. Um, we, uh, we had our first concert worship concert at a teen challenge and, uh, we were there, we were singing. I was sitting in the back row, just kind of hanging out and singing along. And, uh, about the second song we had, uh, two guys from the program walk in late and, uh, they looked a little angry. Uh, to be honest, I don't really know like where the guys are at. Uh, it's a year long program. You never know how long into the program they've been there, kind of what the Lord's been doing in their hearts, how resistant, all that. And they just looked a kind of, kind of angry coming in and I don't really know how to explain it, but, uh, just kind of throughout the, the worship concert, the Lord just kind of put the guy on the right, just kind of on my heart. And uh, I was just kind of like watching him throughout the concert. And there was times where he just had his head down in his hands. And like, I could see that God was like working on this guy's heart. And just like, I didn't know what he was doing, but I could tell he was just working on him. And so I'm like having this dialogue with the Lord. And I'm like, all right, Lord, like, what do you want me to do? Like, I know, like, I know I'm supposed to do something, but like, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I'm like trying to process and figuring it out. And it was kind of messy. And, uh, and I was like, Lord, do you want me to just touch him? Should I just touch him? Like just direct contact, Holy Spirit, you know? And, uh, that was like my leading thought. <laughs> and then I thought poorly, yeah, I thought like, I'm not going to do that. It's super weird. And my chances of getting punched, like go up like drastically if I do that. And so I decided against that. And so I was like, Lord, what do you want me to do? And uh, I kind of landed on, you know what, after, this, after we're done, I'm just going to find him and I'm going to pray for him. I'm going to put my hand on him. And Lord, you're going to have to speak. I don't know what you have to say to him, but you're going to have to do it. So Holy Spirit, already be preparing my heart for words I'm going to say, because I don't know him right now. And uh, as the concert goes on, uh, Chad always spends some time in God's word and just, uh, just like a little mini sermon, a little mini preaching. And, uh, not too often does he get into the gospel message. Uh, for those that aren't familiar with the term gospel, you've heard it before. Don't know what it means. Gospel is just good news. It's the good news of God's redemption plan for humanity. He came down in the form of Jesus and died so that we could be right with him. He paid the penalty for all of our stuff. Um, so Chad just kind of shared that simple gospel message, that good news. 
And uh, again, he doesn't do this very often in our concerts, but he just gave the guys an opportunity to respond. And he said, if, if you want to start a relationship with Jesus, if you want to surrender your life to the one that paid all of your debt, uh, why don't you pray this prayer with me? And so he was praying and uh, just kind of had one of those moments where I was like, Lord, I, I think I hear what you're, what you're wanting me to do. You're wanting me to be weird. Um, and uh, I just felt like he was saying, after Chad's done praying, would you interrupt and would you stand up from the back of the room and uh, just give guys an opportunity to respond, give him an opportunity to respond? And I was like, man, that's so weird. Like, I don't, I'm not a part of these concerts. Like, I just am there hanging out, supporting, worshiping, all that. It would be like somebody in the back after I'm done, like, all right, I have something to say now, um, which I guess you can if you want. I don't know. Um, so I was like, all right, Lord, uh, I'm, I'm going to do it. So I've uh, never done anything. This was my 14th Agape tour. Never done anything like this before. And so at the end of his prayer, I just stood up and I was like, hey, guys. I'm Josh. <laughs> I, I didn't say that. Uh, she's like, hey, if you, if you prayed for the first time and you're surrendering your life to Jesus for the first time today, would you stand up? And uh, sure enough, guess who stood up? Guy on the right. Like crazy. Yeah, you can clap if you want. Like crazy. Uh, like nothing I did, just like trying to like figure out, Lord, what are you doing? And it was super messy along the way. Just cool to see the Lord like working and moving and stirring in hearts. I got a chance to go and talk to this guy afterwards. He's a 23-year-old kid, has a wife and two kids, and uh, just kind of came to the point where he realized if he kept going down this path, I didn't ask him what he had gotten into, he didn't share. Um, if he kept going down this path, like he was gonna lose everything. And so had checked himself into the program three days ago. It was his third day in the program. He said day one in the program, he was there, the pastor was speaking, and he said the pastor was speaking like right to me. And uh, he said, he asked some of the other guys that were there in the program, does he speak about this very often? They're like, no, the first time we've ever heard it. And I was like, Robert, Jesus is pursuing you. Like it is clear cut, Jesus is pursuing you. I said, I'm part of like booking the tours uh, booking the concerts, where we go, where we sing. I said, we were supposed to be somewhere else right now. We got canceled on just a few weeks back. I was calling around trying to figure something out and you're the only place that would take us. Jesus is pursuing you. I genuinely think that Jesus sent us here for you today. Um, I genuinely believe that with all my heart. Jesus sent us there for Robert that day. Um, and just cool to like be a part, see the Lord working and moving. Um, and Robert's got a journey ahead of him. Um, and I don't want to put too much weight on just the one moment thing, but it's just cool to see Jesus just pursuing hearts and lives. Uh, and it was neat to be a part of that, uh, this last weekend. Uh, I tell that story one is just kind of like a general update and like a cool, like, Hey, this is what God's doing on Agape tour. Uh, but also it is the perfect intro for where we're going today. Perfect intro for where we're going today. Um, it is mind blowing to think about the Jesus uh, who Jesus is, Jesus' resume as creator of everything, the head of the church, we're going to dive into that, uh, and just our resume, a resume like the guy Robert, who we were with today, or last week, and to think who pursued who is just kind of, it's absolutely mind-blowing. Uh, today, like I said, we're going to take a look at Jesus' resume. Our scripture looks at that. It mentions our resume, and it concludes with the good news that we can be reconciled to him. Uh, let's pray, and then we're going to dive into God's Word together. Dear Lord, um, Lord, thanks for a chance to be in your house and in your Word. 
Father, I thank you for an opportunity to just be a messenger, to be a sharer of what you're doing in the ways that uh, I saw you work even last weekend, uh, a chance to see, uh, to just be a messenger of how you're working uh, today. Uh, Lord, I pray that I would just get out of the way, that you be clear and speak through your word. Uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage and what we can know about who Jesus is. Uh, we love you, Lord. We give this time to you and pray that you'd speak to our hearts. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, if you guys would open your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter one, we're gonna be there. We're continuing this series in Colossians. I love that we're going through the book of Colossians. Uh, in so many ways, we kind of are the Colossian church. It's pretty neat. Pastor Scott gave a background of the Colossian, uh, of the book to Col- the letter to Colossians last week. Uh, and if you remember, the Colossian church was started by this guy named Epaphras. Then Epaphras came and he visited Paul while Paul was in prison, and he kind of gave him the update on the Colossian church. He said, here's what's going on with the church. They're doing good. They're faithful. However, they're experiencing this cultural pressure to turn away from Jesus. They're experiencing this cultural pressure to view Jesus as lesser than what he is. And I just thought, man, that's us. Like if I could describe our church, I would say, man, our church we're doing good. We have a faithful church. Absolutely, we go out and we experience cultural pressure to turn away from Jesus. Absolutely, we go out and we experience cultural pressure to view Jesus as lesser than what he is, as lesser than God Almighty. And uh, I I was going to uh, get into a little bit of church history and kind of go into the past and how for centuries people have viewed, certain groups have viewed Jesus as lesser than God and talk about the different councils that were had. And uh, I decided to spare you a little bit, Uh, but suffice it to say, man, it is so good that we've got passages like the passage that we're going to look at today to kind of give us that foundation for why we can believe Jesus is who he is. Um, so let's dive in and look at this letter that Paul wrote to the Colossian church. We're in verse one, starting in verse 15. And in this first three verses, we're going to see that Jesus reigns over creation. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Okay, we're going to pause there. I know that there's a lot there. There's a ton there. I could easily, easily do a full message just on these first three verses, and I thought about it. I thought about it, and then Pastor Scott would have been like, Josh, you ruined the preaching schedule, and you guys would be like, oh, is this the book of Acts? We just continue a year through this book, and so I'm not. We're just going to keep working through. We're good, okay? Uh, but there's a lot in here, and we're going to get at it. Verse 15 says, he is the image of the invisible God. Our first question, who is he, right? Who are we even talking about in this whole passage, this little section? Who are we even talking about? Um, Jesus, good. I heard a good Sunday school answer somewhere over here. That was great. Um, So if you look back in verse 13, he's referring to the son. So far in this first uh, chapter of Colossians, so far the only people Paul has spoken about are God the Father and the Son, Jesus. It doesn't make sense for him to be saying God the Father is the image of the invisible God the Father. He's clearly talking about the Son. We're talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
I think the next question becomes, what is this phrase, the firstborn of all creation? Like, what is that about? Because skeptics in the past and even today have used this phrase to say, Jesus can't be God, can't be God himself. He's created. He's the firstborn of creation. He's a created being. He can't be God. Now, that's incorrect for a number of reasons. Uh, If we just use our surrounding context, we already saw there at the beginning of verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Verse 16 says, by him, all things were created. And 19 says, in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. If we were to look through the rest of the New Testament, there are plenty of other places that we could point to, pointing to Jesus as God. Um, We're not going to dive into those today, but you can take a look on your own, or we can talk about it later. Uh, So then the question, okay, so what does this firstborn of all creation actually mean then? Like, what is it actually trying to get at? Well, firstborn is the Greek word prototokos. Everybody say prototokos. Good. Um, Now, I want you to turn to your neighbor, okay? And you're going to have a little race, okay? You're going to say prototokos three times as fast as you possibly can. As fast as you possibly can, okay? On your mark, on go, on go. On your mark, get set, go. Okay, 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 okay. Great job. I heard a couple of you did it. Who got through it without messing up? You've had a lot of practice, babe. Good, good, good. Okay, excellent. Well done. Uh, I, I butchered that so bad the first time, uh, which is why I'm not going to try it right now. Um, okay, so the prototokos, okay, solid, solid Greek word. Um, prototokos is referring to um, position or rank, okay? Uh, his position or rank. Uh, in the story of Esau and Jacob, okay? In Genesis, we see the story of Esau and Jacob, two brothers, uh, sons of Isaac. Esau was born first, right? However, Jacob was the prototokos. He received the inheritance, and therefore he was over his brother Esau. Jesus was not created first, right? Adam and Eve were created for first. Uh, clearly, this is not talking about if he was created, and that's the whole point. Jesus is the prototokos. He is over all of creation. Now, the next two verses we're going to dive into, 16 and 17, they give us some reasons why Jesus is over all of creation. Okay, in verse 16, we see, one, he created everything in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible. Just generally speaking, Jesus created everything everywhere, okay? He created everything in verse 17. He's before everything. And in verse 17, he holds everything together. Um, Now, at this point, I would be remiss if I didn't share uh, some of the cool stuff that we've been learning with our high school students uh, as we're just talking about this conversation of Jesus as the creator. Uh, I told you a few weeks ago when I was doing the announcements uh, how we're working through this series with the high school students of why do we even believe what we believe? Does it make sense? We spent a couple of weeks talking about intelligent design versus naturalistic evolution. And I wanted to share just a couple of like really, really cool things that we've been learning. Uh, And I think it's super relevant uh, and really, really cool. So first of all, I want to start with DNA. DNA is known as the language of life. It gives form and function to everything, every living thing that we see. Uh, DNA carries genetic information 
in the form of a four-character digital code. Does anybody know those four characters from our alphabet that signify DNA? Yeah? U-A-G-C, close, close. A-G-C and T. Yep, boom. Nailed it. Well done. That's why he's sitting in the front row. Smart guy. Like it. A, C, T, and G. Uh, So DNA is like a software program, okay? But like the most complex software program known to man. It is, in fact, the most detailed assembly of information in the universe. Does anybody know how many units of DNA are inside every living cell? Any guesses? Just throw them out. All of them. That's a good, that's a good guess. That's a really good guess. It's probably going to be the most accurate. Come on, give me some more numbers. Come on, throw them out. Million, a zillion. This is good. I, I like, I, I Google, yeah, you guys are on to it. Three billion units of DNA inside every living cell. That is insane. I was talking with John Ayite, Stephanie's husband. John does coding for like, I don't know, what is it? It's like technology. It's like smart computer stuff, right? So, and I asked him like, how much information is contained in like just the, the technology that we have? And uh, he said in a simple website, there's hundreds of lines of code, hundreds of lines of code in a simple website. In a complicated application like Netflix, there's tens of thousands of lines of code. And I was like, John, give it to me. Come on, a lot, a lot, something that has tons of information in it. He said, in a complex military drone, there are millions of lines of code, millions of lines of code in a super complex military drone. In every single living cell in your body, there are 3 billion units of DNA. There is more information contained in one single cell than in the most complex military drone that man can come up with. How insane is that? Absolutely crazy. The question is, where does all that information come from? Where does it come from? Proponents of naturalistic evolution would point to a chemical explanation, you know, because DNA, it bonds together and and it kind of comes together and forms what it forms. Uh, And while that's true, there is a chemical explanation for what's going on in the bonding of DNA that doesn't explain why there's information that we can comprehend. And the best analogy that I have for it is this. If you take ink and paper, they will bond together chemically. There's a chemical explanation for what goes on when ink bonds to paper. However, it does not explain how there is a message contained, how there is information that is contained within that chemical bonding. Does that make sense? It's still, we have no explanation for how the information is there. The question still remains, where does the information come from? Our answer is here, Jesus. Jesus, the creator of everything, he's the one that put the information there. You guys want to hear some groundbreaking news concerning DNA? Groundbreaking, like the latest research. So biochemist Michael Behe, uh, he's a professor at Lehigh University. Uh, He's been doing some research concerning DNA, and he actually just published this book about his research. It's called Darwin Devolves, just published this year, 2019. It's the latest research out there. They're finding out uh, that what happens with DNA in microevolution. 
Now, I'm not talking about macroevolution, evolution on the large scale, super long term. I'm talking about small adaptations within a species over a small amount of time, microevolution. What's happening with DNA and microevolution is that it's breaking down. Information is being taken away in order for that microevolution to occur. So for years, uh, scientists have told us, well, the fact that we see microevolution on the small scale gives us plausibility to believe that macroevolution could happen on the big scale. And this research is showing us the exact opposite. If, in fact, in microevolution, DNA information is being removed in order for those adaptations to occur, and, and they're never seeing DNA, more information being built up, how are you going to build something completely new? It's impossible. Absolutely crazy, groundbreaking research. Science today is continuing to prove uh, what we're finding in Scripture over and over again. I don't know about you. That's cool stuff. Do you guys, are you, do you guys like this stuff? Yeah? Good? Cool, cool. Uh, I've got one more short one, and it's my favorite one out of all them. Uh, so with the high schoolers, I did probably an hour and a half total, like nonstop hitting hard. It was funny. Like about 75% of the students are like, give me more, taking notes. Uh, and 25 are like, I'm at school. This is the worst. Um, I kind of feel like that's the percentage that we have going here, and that's okay. We've got one more. It's probably my favorite out of all of them. Stick with me. Um, there are four fundamental forces in the universe. Does anybody know them? No pressure. And, and be bold, people. Be bold. I had, I had a high school student in first hour, knew all four. I'm just saying. Four, gravity, good. Strong nuclear force. Weak nuclear force. Dark, no, that's not one. Okay, I'll give you the last one. It's the electromagnetic force, okay? So there's four, there's four. Gravitational force, electromagnetic force, weak nuclear force, and strong nuclear force. We're going to dive into all four of these, and I'm just kidding. So we're going to look, we're going to look just today at the strong nuclear force. That's it, okay? Um, now, these four forces, along with probably 20-plus other laws of physics in the universe, are so fine-tuned perfectly for there to be life. Uh, absolutely crazy. The strong nuclear force is the strongest of the four fundamental forces. It is, in fact, the strongest known force in the universe, yes, even stronger than the infinity stones. No spoilers, no spoilers, <laughs> stronger. Just telling you, it is, okay? The strong nuclear force holds protons and neutrons together inside the nucleus of a cell. And that's interesting because, for those that are scientific people, according to the electromagnetic force, what happens when two like charges either two protons, two positive charges, or two neutrons, two negative charges, are close to each other. What happens? They repel, right? And they don't just repel a little bit. If you were to get, leave two protons, right, just by themselves with no strong nuclear force, if you were to just let them be there, they would repel at a speed of 8,000 miles per second. They would repel at a speed of over 28 million miles an hour. That is insane. Absolutely insane. In other words, the strong nuclear force holds everything on this planet, in this universe together. It holds everything together. Get used to me saying crazier still because it just gets crazier. Crazier still, it is absolutely perfect. Our strong nuclear force is absolutely perfect. If it was any stronger or any weaker, there would be 
cataclysmic consequences. Catastrophic, all of those things. Okay? If it was too strong, everything in the universe would clump together. The, the strong force would be too strong, everything would clump together. If it was too weak, and I mean, if it was any weaker, any weaker, by one, if you reduced it by one in this giant number, 30 zeros, if you reduced it by just one, and uh, to help your brains kind of wrap it, uh, your, your, your brains around it, uh, I put it in dollars because just money speaks, right? So when we put it in dollars, if, imagine you had this much money. Imagine. If I was to take away one penny, how insignificant would that be? Incredibly insignificant, right? Like, if you took a penny from me, that would be insignificant, and I've got, like, none of those zeros. Um, <laughs> But if you took a penny from me, it'd be incredibly insignificant. If you reduced, stupid Mike, if you reduced the strong nuclear force by one penny, the results would be that everything in the universe would explode. The only element left in the universe would be hydrogen. That is insane. That's crazy. Crazier still. There is no explanation for how or why the strong nuclear force exists. No explanation. It just doesn't make sense. Until you read this passage today. Look there in verse 17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In him all things hold together. I I read this this week, and I had one of those mind-blown moments because I was doing this science stuff with the high schoolers a few weeks back looking into the strong nuclear force. When those came together, when the idea of the strong nuclear force being this unexplainable force that holds everything together in the universe and the scripture that tells us in Jesus, he holds all things together, my mind was absolutely blown. Absolutely blown. Now, whether Jesus is in fact the strong nuclear force, whether they are equal, Jesus equals strong nuclear force, or he just set it in place and maintains it. I don't know. To be honest, it seems like semantics to me, like just words. But the fact that Jesus at this very moment is holding all things together is absolutely mind-blowing. There is no doubt Jesus actively is reigning over his creation right now. In the next section, we're going to see that Jesus reigns over the church. If you guys would look at verse 18. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. All right, verse 18, we see Jesus is the head of the body, the church, and what Chad alluded to during communion, we kind of get this metaphor for the church being the body of Christ. Crazy. It's not just a weird illustration to get people to volunteer for stuff. Crazy, right? Kind of crazy. Um, So yes, we all have a function. We all have a purpose in the body of Christ. Everybody's got their own spot. Absolutely. However, we're not focusing on the body today. We're focusing on the head, the head of the big C church. And that is a position that Jesus is uniquely qualified to hold. Look here in verse 18. We're going to run through these uh, pretty quick. So just kind of stick with me. Verse 18, we see he is the beginning. He's the source of the church. 
Without Jesus, we don't have a church. He's the firstborn from the dead. Again, firstborn here, what's our Greek word? Prototokos, yes. <laughs> same word, the prototoko, prototokos. And guess what? It means the exact same thing, exact same thing. It still refers to being the highest in position or rank. Jesus was not the first one raised from the dead, right? In scripture, we see, pl- we see a number of other stories. We see uh, the widow's son, Uh, raised from the dead by Elijah. We see Lazarus raised by Jesus. Uh, There's a number of other stories in there. Jesus was not the first first man. He's a God man, but not the first person raised from the dead. However, he has a position or rank as the prototokos. He is over the dead. He is over death. He is highest um, highest in rank among those raised from the dead. Number three, we see there Jesus is preeminent over everything. Uh, That's kind of like one of those, just like catch-alls, like he's preeminent over everything. Of course, he's the head of the church. Uh, Makes sense. Uh, If you look verse 19, we get the reminder that he is fully God. And in verse 20, he alone is able to reconcile everything to himself. Jesus absolutely is reigning over his church. Um, Now, as I was just kind of thinking through, like, what does that even like, what do we do with that today? Like, I just think it's a really neat reminder. Just a really, really cool reminder. Uh, I feel like on a fairly regular basis, we're hearing stories of pastors, of leaders in the church that are failing and falling and leaving a wake of destruction behind them. Um, and while I don't think that that's a good thing, I, I think it's, it, it's not helpful for the church. Um, on the big, in the big picture, on the grand scale, The fact that Jesus is reigning over his church should give us a whole lot of confidence, regardless of how many stories like that we hear. Um, Pastor Scott, even just last week, he was talking about the fact that the church is growing. The church is growing. We're not like, we don't need to be scared, don't need to be worried. Jesus is reigning over his church even today. It was cool to hear some stats last week just to, uh, that show that to be true. And man, then we can look at the small scale and see what Jesus is doing uh, here in our church. Uh, I even continue to just go back to Agape tour just last weekend and see Jesus is reigning over his church. Uh, No need to fear, my friends. Jesus is reigning over the church actively. Um, In this last part, I think we kind of see the most mind-blowing part of it all. That same Jesus that is reigning over creation, even right now at the second, and the same Jesus that's reigning over his church, that's the Jesus that died for us and wants us. Let's take a look at this last uh, group of verses. Verse 21. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. Um, in scripture, we see a number of different illustrations uh, that show us what happened in our relationship with God because of what Jesus did. There's a number of different illustrations. Uh, one of them is that we stood before God guilty. We were guilty, and then because of what Jesus did, now we're declared innocent. Another one, we were a slave. Jesus set us free. Another, we were in debt. We had all this debt, and then Jesus declared us debt-free. 
Uh, and another one is that we were strangers. We were strangers with God. And then Jesus made us sons and daughters. Uh, here, Paul uses a different one. He uses the word reconciliation. Uh, the root word for that reconciliation is a Greek word, katalaso. And this katalaso gives us the illustration is that we were enemies. We were enemies with God. And then we became his friends because of what Jesus did. And uh, as I was just like thinking through it shouldn't be shocking at all that Paul chooses this illustration. Shouldn't be shocking that Paul uses the illustration of I was an enemy and now I'm a friend. Because think about who Paul was. Think about his former life. Paul was about as big of an enemy as you could be to Jesus before he was offered friendship on the road to Damascus. Think about it. He was on his way to the synagogues to pull out Jewish believers. Uh, he was going to persecute and kill the church. He was an enemy of enemies and then he became a friend. I think uh, based on experience, based on last week, based on, I don't know, just conversations with people, I think one of the biggest things that holds people back from surrendering in a relationship with Jesus is this idea that I'm too much of an enemy. I've been, you don't know what I've done. I've done this. I've done that. Uh, I can't, I've been going against God for so long. I cannot be reconciled. And if that's you, if, if you've had those thoughts, can I just lovingly correct you and let you know that that's just not true. That is just not true. This passage uh, we see here is talking about all of us. We were all hostile. We were all evil. We were all unworthy of friendship with Jesus, every single one of us. Um, and I'm telling you, if Paul can become a friend of Jesus after what he did, uh, anybody can. Absolutely anyone can. I love here the word that's used for reconciliation. So if you look here in verses 20 and 22, I told you the root word, katalaso, is for reconciliation. Here the word that's used uh, is the root word plus a little preposition at the beginning. Apo katalaso is the word that we see here in this passage. And it's beautiful because that preposition apo infers complete or total reconciliation. So regardless of what you've done, regardless of how close on the Paul spectrum you are or were, there is complete and total reconciliation available through what Jesus did on the cross and through nothing else. Uh, and that is amazing. Complete and total, regardless of where you've been and what you've done, there is complete and total reconciliation available. Um, it was amazing to see uh, that kind of just come out this past weekend. Uh, like I told you, we spent the weekend with some people that uh, just kind of had some rough backgrounds, um, dealing with addictions, violence, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, people that had hit rock bottom and really had nothing in this world. Nothing in this world, relationships in shambles, job suspect, like no job suspect, sleeping in a dorm room on a bunk bed full of other uh, people of the same gender, like just as rough as rough can be. And the only thing that, that some, of these, some of these folks had was reconciliation with Jesus. That's it. And it's crazy. This stood out for our kids big time this past weekend. Uh, numerous kids said that they were just blown away by the fact that these people had absolutely nothing except for Jesus. And they were shocked by two things. One, they were shocked by the joy that they had. Just this overwhelming, overflowing joy that they had because they had Jesus. And two, the steadfastness, kind of this non-shifting um, from the hope of what Jesus did for them. Because if we look at the scripture, the signs of true reconciliation are stable. 
will be stable, will be steadfast, will be not shifting from the hope of the gospel. And uh, it was just neat to see that. Man, guys that had nothing but Jesus, and they were just clinging to that hope, just clinging to the hope of the gospel. Um, for Linz and I, uh, it's been cool to kind of see this fruit of reconciliation um, with Jesus in, in our lives. Um, even in the midst of just tough times, and um, we've been sharing our journey. We felt like the Lord's just been calling us to be open with our journey to try to have kids. And uh, told you back when I was up here in January how we'd been trying for a few years, and we'd gotten pregnant, and uh, how we lost a baby. And uh, yeah, it was hard. I shared with you, it was hard. There was rough times. There was grief. There was pain. There was feelings, uh, moments of feeling less than stable for sure. Um, however, at, at the core, there was this stability. There was this steadfastness. There was this unwavering from the hope of the gospel, of the good news of Jesus. Because if that's true, if this Jesus that we've been talking about today loves me, cares about me, died for me, wants what's good for me, I trust him. I trust him because I can. Um, there has been a, uh, a lot of talk of firstborns today. That's our little baby. We are having a baby. Um, just, just cool to see God's faithfulness and his goodness. Um, so Lynn's is 14 and a half weeks. That's a picture of our little baby. Uh, past that dreaded 12-week appointment. And uh, yeah, just, just been really cool uh, the last few weeks. And we've been so excited to share with you guys. We just want to say thank you so much. Uh, there have been so many people that have been praying for us. Um, and we're so like so, so grateful just for your prayers and your love and just like your support. Um, so, so excited to share with you guys today for sure. Um, but man, just not only just sharing news, but the, just the amazing illustration that the Jesus who is at this moment holding all things together at this very moment, making sure that everything sticks together and reigning over creation, the same Jesus that is over his church and is not of, in any fear of things going south, completely in control. That's the same Jesus that died for us, wants us, and loves us. Man, what an amazing, mind-blowing truth that is this morning. Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, Lord, I just thank you so much. Uh, I thank you for a chance to share fun news. Uh, God, I thank you for your goodness in my life. I pray just even for comfort for those that are trying to have kids, and it's just, um, yeah, just not time now. Uh, I pray, yeah, just for your overwhelming and undeniable peace. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would, yeah, just meet us where we're at in those scenarios. But Lord, I just, I just want to praise you and thank you for your goodness. You're so good. God, thank you that you are holding everything together at this very moment. Lord, that is, that's unreal. God, thank you that you're over your church. And uh, Lord, the fact that you sent Jesus, that was, that was your plan uh, to save us. God, that's such a good truth for us to just come back to regularly. So we love you and we praise you this morning. You're so good. Praise in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Hey, church, a couple of reminders for you. Uh, we have the Deacons Fund today. If you want to contribute to that, to those in our community a little less fortunate, going through rough times, uh, that'd be great. And I have one more quick story because we've got a couple of people that are going to be up here to pray for you. Uh, one more story from a Teen Challenge guy this weekend. He said, I used to be an alcoholic, and uh, whenever anyone offered me a drink, I would take it. He said, I gave my life to Jesus, and now whenever anybody offers to pray for me, I take it. Uh, anytime. 
Uh, man, we've got people up here that would love to pray for you. It doesn't matter how big, how small. We all have stuff going on. Man, what a cool opportunity to have like your needs, your burdens, all that good stuff lifted up to the Lord. Uh, we'd love to pray for you this morning. Uh, have a wonderful week. We love you guys. See you next time.